good evening, everybody. There's one. Hey, we got a bass for the choir. All right. Um, it is good to see everyone here. There's some uh, folks we haven't seen in a while, so glad glad that uh, glad to see everybody here. Um, just a couple of quick announcements uh, before we begin. Um, most of you know the drill. We'll be at Chick-fil-A right after church. So if you uh, are light in the pockets or it's your first time here in a while, just uh, uh, let one of us know. And uh, we'd be more than happy uh, to spot you a meal tonight. Uh, so if you're wondering if uh, you missed a sermon or uh, I know it's summer, a lot of people are in and out a lot. Uh, you can check us out on iTunes or Spotify or pretty much anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, we're there. So uh, it may take a little while for us to, a couple days for us to upload, but uh, we're getting that process worked out. So uh, if you miss, uh, you can catch up there. Uh, so go ahead and subscribe. Uh, so if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been looking at uh, different conversations with Jesus and looking at how he interacted with people and what we can learn from him uh, as we interact with others. Uh, tonight we're going to take a little break on that series. And as, as most of you probably know, it's June. And uh, kind of a recent development is that June is Pride Month. And so <coughs> we're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight. And tonight's going to be the first part of two and so um, tonight, if you've, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, hopefully tonight just looks really familiar. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, check, check, check. Uh, we're going we're gonna to set up some basics and fundamentals, and then in part two, uh, we're going to really compare uh, what the Bible has to say versus uh, what the pride LGBTQ, LGBTQ movement has to say. From now on, I'm just going to say pride because uh, I fumble over that acronym. So, so, has anyone ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Really, I find it hard to believe there's a couple people in the room that haven't, but one of these days will get all the hands in the air. When you do a, a jigsaw puzzle, what's the first thing you do? Okay, we have some edges, folks. Okay, edges. Does anybody just like start color sorting? Isaac, what do you do? The corner. You color sort. That's like the second and third thing that I usually do. This wasn't a trick question. Yep, that's, that's a good way to do it. That's how, that's how we usually do it. My brother-in-law, the first thing he does is he gets a piece and puts it in his pocket so he can be the last person, <laughs> right? So my brother-in-law and my mother-in-law are always taking pieces to be the last one. So you know, it's always like, okay, guys. Um, actually, the first thing I do is I look at the picture. Right, at first, it's like, do I want to do this puzzle? We had one at work that was literally just like candy. 
like, so it was impossible to get a frame of reference, like no lake, no house, it was just candy. So we never finished. But most of us, we look at the picture, right, and then we start making a plan, right? We do the corners or the edges, and okay, there's a lake here, a house here, a dog here, let's make piles, right? But it starts with the picture. Has anybody done a picture or a puzzle without the picture? It's not fun. It's, it's pretty miserable. So that's, that's kind of what, uh, what our series is going to be like. Tonight, we're going to look at the picture. And then in part two, we're going to start doing the puzzle, right? Comparing the pieces to the picture. So our, so our, our big ideas for tonight, I don't know if I lost the battery on the slides there. So our big idea for tonight is when we're presented with a difficult issue, right, we go back to the fundamentals of our biblical worldview. And we ask, how does this fit into God's truth? Right? Hopefully that sounds, sounds pretty simple. Whatever the issue of the day is, we ask, how does this fit into God's truth? We don't try and take the issue and then kind of just shove God in that issue. Right? And I'm talking theologically, right? not missionally. Missionally, yes, we should be going out, but theologically, we don't just try to cram God into an issue. We try to compare the issue to God's truth. So we're going to... Oh, hey, Thomas, I don't know if the clicker stopped working there. So tonight is going to be all about reviewing the basics, right? And we're going to do some alliteration tonight. It's all with the letter S. So the first thing as we put together our, our biblical worldview... Right, we, we have to talk about sin. We have to talk about sin. What is sin? Does anybody know the word picture that goes along with the word sin? Is anybody an archer or marksman? Anybody seen Robin Hood? The idea of sin is it's like an archer who's trying to hit the bullseye, but you miss the mark. So that's what sin is. There's a mark, and sin is missing that mark. So in, when you apply that word picture to the Bible, right there is God, and he is holy. And sin, missing the mark, is everything other than God. So it's, it's not just about our actions, right? When we talk about sin, we're so quick to think of what this person said, what that person did. But Jesus tells us it's actually about our heart. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brought this up a lot of times. He said, hey, you've heard this law. You've heard this said. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Jesus said, on top of that, right, it's, it's the heart. It's the heart that is sinful. It's the heart that needs to be healed by God. So when we talk about sin, there's this idea of missing the mark. So holiness means to be set apart. Set apart from what? Holiness is set apart 
from sin. Now, as, as many of you know, um, I'm an engineer and a bit of an architecture nerd. Right, so has anybody gotten to travel and see different cities throughout the world, different old places? Anybody? Where did you, where'd you go? Italy. A lot of old stuff there. You've been to Greece? Oh, man. I'm jealous. Germany? Yeah, riding through Germany, like, you can throw a rock and hit a castle. You're like, this is ridiculous. Um, anybody else? London. Yeah, London, like, again, like, everything's hundreds and hundreds of years old, and here it's like, it goes back to, like, the 70s. You know, it doesn't feel like that old. But when you look at how people built a lot of those old towns, there was a set-apart area of town right, where they would build the church, they would build the temple, they would build something. In Greece, you see a beautiful example. There's the Acropolis built up. Here's all the, here's all the religious stuff. It's set apart from the secular. So the sacred and the secular, they're set apart. Right, and that's kind of the idea of holiness. It's set apart. Not only is it set apart, but there's an implication of morality. Right, so there's the idea of goodness, morality, and then not goodness or immoral. So this idea of the holy and the sin, we're going to explore that a little bit. So when we talk about sin, right, the bad news keeps getting worse, right? Who has sinned, right? I know most of you know the answer. Right, we all have sinned, right? Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned. And if you didn't know that, right, I take no joy in breaking that news to you, right? But right, I've got to tell you. So if God is separated, he's holy and sinful, and now I know that I'm in this group of sinners, what are the consequences? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now there is God who is holy, there is sin, there's consequences for that sin, there's death. But we're getting our first glimpse of good news there in Romans chapter 6. So are all sins equal? All right, this is one of those yes-no answers. Right? So when we talk about being forgiven, right, sin is sin. God forgives sin. When we talk about consequences, all sin is not the same. Right? If I go steal a cheeseburger, when I, uh, a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, if I stole a cheeseburger from Chick-fil-A, that would be, <laughs> be something. If I stole a sandwich from Chick-fil-A, there's a different consequence for that. It's maybe like, hey, this guy's picture's on the wall. Don't let him in. Right? If I steal tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, right, I'm going to jail. Right? God forgives both, but there are different consequences. So are all sins equal? Yes and no. Depends on which. There's a little bit of a distinction there. So if there is this gap of, of holy and sin because of sin, 
how do I bridge that gap? How does that gap, how does that bridge get crossed? How do we go from the sacred to the sec, how do we go from the secular to the sacred? This is probably the worst of the bad news. You are powerless to do anything to move to God. God had to do something to come down to us. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, But God being rich in mercy, he is rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Right? So we who were dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ. Not because we're awesome, not because, you know, we did a few uh, favors for God, because God is rich in mercy and love. He is rich in mercy and love. While we were dead in our sins, he died for us. Uh, Romans 5, uh, verse 8 says this, But God shows his love for us, and that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So that is how the bridge, the gap gets bridged. There is the holy, there is sin. It is God who came down to us. We've looked at sin. Now we're going to look at the Savior. John 3, 16. I'm going to read 17 and 18. I think most of us know, can say verse 16, probably in three different translations. Or if you're like me, you kind of merge them together. But anyway, John 3, 16 through 18 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes and him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus was not sent here to condemn. He was sent here to save. Verse 18 says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Right, that's at the heart of the gospel. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Right? So the situation is very dire. It's a lot more dire than we, than we want to say or realize. But apart from God, people stand condemned already. That is why we need to share the good news with those around us. That's why we need to be praying, asking the Lord, give me an opportunity with this person. Give me time. Work on their heart, Lord. Give me the words to say. People that don't know the Lord already, they stand condemned because of sin. So this problem right, of holiness and sin and having to bridge that gap, it was God who came down to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? Right? The advent of the Lord. The Lord came down to us. Right? What was so what was so far away and off limits to us, God came down. And God maintained his holiness. His, he was perfect. 
he didn't sin, yet he was in the flesh like you and me. He lived a full life. He was subject to temptation, yet he never sinned. He knows what it's like to uh, see family conflict around him. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one, a loved one. He knows what it's like to watch close friends bicker and fight. He knows all this because he lived a full, complete life. It was because he lived a full, complete life and yet was sinless, he could die in our place. He died in our place. The big theological word is substitutionary atonement. What that really means is all the sin that I have, he died in my place. He was a substitute. And Jesus was the only one qualified to do this. If you remember the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying, what did he ask the Father? It was about a cup. Absolutely. He asked, let this cup pass from me. What was that cup? Right? If you look back at Old Testament scriptures, it talks about a cup of wrath being filled up. It was a cup of wrath from my sin, your sin, their sin. It was that cup of wrath. And Jesus was asking, is there any other way? He knew the answer. Is there any other way? And the father said, no, there wasn't. Jesus was the only one who could bridge this gap and pay for that wrath and make sinners holy. So this is what we talk, when we talk about the person and work of Jesus Christ, this is what we're talking about. Who he was and what he did. It's at the very heart of the gospel. It is the gospel. We've talked about sin. We've talked about the Savior. And now we're going to talk about salvation. Again, hopefully if, if you've been with the Lord for a while, this will all look really familiar. Hopefully. But salvation. So as John 3.16 said, those who believe in Jesus right, will be saved. I'm going to throw some more biblical words at you. Right, when we are saved, we are justified. Right? Now, hopefully, none, none of you have had to be in a court of law or like before a jury. Right? Maybe you watch like Law and Order or, or courtroom shows. Right? Justified, right, that, that means like not guilty. But it, it's, it's a switch because we know we're guilty. I know I'm guilty. But in a legal sense, in the courtroom, when, when we're saved, God looks, us, looks at us and says, he's justified. All those sins, I don't count it against him because I've counted it against Jesus. He paid that penalty. He was the substitute. 
So when we're saved, we're justified, we're forgiven. We don't have sin hanging over us anymore. We are regenerated. What does that mean? That sounds like something from X-Men or comic books, right? That just means that we are a new creation. We are a new creation. So what what does this new creation look like? Well, unfortunately, we have the old part of ourselves, which the Bible calls the flesh, and now we have this new part. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So there's now this this spirit side of us that is awakened to the Lord. So we are a new creation. 1 John, I'm sorry, Titus 3 says this, right? We are cleansed and forgiven. We are cleansed and forgiven. When we look back on all our sin, right, we've been cleansed, washed, it's all, it's all gone. We've been forgiven. We've been adopted as sons and daughters, according to John chapter 1. Think about that for a minute. Go back to our picture of God is holy, and then there's sin. We're stuck here. We've gone from being isolated and lost And God came down, saved us. Now he calls us sons and daughters. Right? We've been adopted into the family of God. Right? As part of our salvation, right? By God's grace, right? We're going to persevere until the end. Philippians 2 says that he who began a good work in you is faithful. And will continue it until the end. Right? We have assurance of our salvation. Right? Since you did nothing to gain it, you can't do anything to lose it. Think about that for a minute. There's, there's some systems out there that'll say, well, you have to do these 10 things to, to get salvation. But what if I do this one thing and lose my salvation? Well, I got to do these 10 other things to get it back. And then, oh, I did this one thing. It's an exhausting way to live, right? It's a system of legalism. Whereas the Bible says, no, you're justified, you've been saved. And God will be with us until the end. Our salvation is by faith and not by works. It's by faith and not by works. We can't do anything to buy anything from God. We can't do anything to earn salvation. And you can't do anything to have it taken away. So that sin, Savior, salvation now we want to talk about sanctification again throwing a lot of bible words out here all sanctification really means is you're going to grow as a christian right now we have a lot of parents in the room imagine right you, you go to the hospital your wife's in labor wife has the baby Right, that precious little life. You hear it scream for the first time. Imagine if that baby stayed that age for the rest of your life. Right? 
Right. Right. It's the same thing with our salvation. Right. We're not supposed to stay babies. We're supposed to grow. We learn to walk. We fumble around. We make mistakes. But we're we're supposed to grow. And our Christian growth, right, it's one of those things that God is working through us, and yet we, we have to put in some effort. There's going to be some sacrifice. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to count the cost. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be persecution. It may not be the most financially profitable thing for you. People may call you names. You're going to have to give things up. You have to count the cost. And yet, right, we're going to pursue and follow the Lord. Sanctification isn't about being perfect. It's about making progress. Um, somebody I know was looking at a, uh, I guess it was a government document. And it was listing like everywhere they work. And they were like, oh, I don't. I don't remember working there. Like, you know, it's kind of like a little summary of like their life and where they worked. Right? And they were thinking back to this phase or that period of their life. And it got me thinking, you know, like, oh, I remember 10, 20 years ago. By God's grace, I'm, I'm not the same person that I was 20, 10 years ago. And if he gives me another 10 or 20 years, I know that I won't be the same then. I will keep growing. Not because of me, not because I'm awesome, but by God's grace. He who began a good work in you is faithful until the end. Sanctification is not about perfection, it's about making progress. Right? We will not be sinless, but we will sin less. If you if you listen to hymns, right, the old will fade away. The things of this world will, go, will grow strangely dim as the things of God gain their eye. If you don't remember anything else about sanctification, right? we will be different. We will be different because we belong to the Lord. So we've got sin, Savior, salvation, sanctification, now, to go along with sanctification, there's submission. A bit, you could really put this under sanctification. They're, they're almost, they're very related. If we want to grow in Christ, right, we have to be submitted unto the Lord, unto his word, unto his spirit. So we ask, we look to the, to the word and we submit to it. We don't ask the word to submit to us. We look to the Holy Spirit and say, Where do you need me to what do you need me to do today? Right? We don't look to the Spirit and say, Hey, I need you to do this. I need you to submit unto my will and plan. Rather we, we plead for the Spirit for help and guidance. So as believers, we're, we're often submitting, we're submitting to the word, we're submitting to the spirit. And as a group of people that are doing that, we're often submitting unto one another, right? 
is that there may be the needs of this person, right? We need to submit to that. If we, if we continue with the family analogy, sometimes there's a younger brother, a younger sister, right? We have to make sure we watch out for them. Right? Sometimes we're submitting unto another, another brother or sister. But it's always under the umbrella of submitting to God's word and submitting to the spirit. Again, if you're, if you're in, into the hymns, there's I Surrender All. And there's also the, I think the Hillsong song is I, says I Surrender. Right? We, we've done that here quite a bit. But lastly, I'm not going to lie, I had a, had a hard time coming up with this one. Um, but finally I found an S word right, for heaven splendor, right? the glory, the majesty, the things we can't really imagine, right? that's heaven. Right? There will be a new heaven and a new earth, right? and that's, that's the end goal of this sanctification, right? that we're made ready for this new heaven and new earth. Because of this new heaven and new earth, our sanctification will be complete. We'll be made whole. All the sin will be gone. That's why it says in heaven there will be no more tears, no more pain. Because the curse of sin will be broken. The earth will be remade perfect. I won't say and do things that hurt my wife. Right? We won't hurt each other anymore. Right? There will be no more sin. We will be made pure as he is pure. Right, and, and that is kind of the framework, right? A biblical worldview, if you will. Right. So when we when we take an issue, uh, any hot button issue, abortion, the pride movement, you know, anything, we don't we don't take those movements and say, okay, how can I kind of just bring in a little bit of Jesus? We have to say no. We have to look at what the Bible says, and then compare it to whatever that issue is. So that's what that's what we're going to do next time. Um, but really, I wanted to just pr- present a framework that whatever issue comes up, whatever idea comes up in culture, you can say, wait a minute, how does this fit in with, with what the Bible calls sin? How does this fit in with what the Bible says about needing a Savior and who that Savior is? How does that fit in with uh, salvation and how we get saved? We're saved from what? Saved so we can go where? What does this mean about sanctification and growing? Our life, really. What does it say about submission? And finally, what's, what's the end goal? Is it heaven? New heaven and new earth as the Bible describes? Or is it something else? So the, the other side of the coin I want to leave you with for our biblical worldview is what is our identity? Right? If you can say, I, b- I believe in Jesus and I'm in Christ, then, then what is our identity? What does the Bible have to say about that? So if you have a Bible, now we're like two-thirds of the way done. 
but uh, go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at our identity in Christ from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Before we read this, I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite verses. I know I have a lot of favorites, but this is one of my favorites. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Just stop there for a minute. That is your identity in Christ. You are chosen, holy, and beloved. God chose you. God didn't get stuck with you. God didn't look down and say, oh, man, I made a bad deal. Now Kyle's involved in this. But I got to honor it, right? I got to honor it. No, in eternity past, God said, I want Dave to be part of my family. I want Carla to be part of my family. God chose you. Not only did he choose you, but he has moved you. I remember from that, that sin paradigm to now holy. Right? You are set apart. And you are beloved. Right? We, we can't we can't fully describe and do justice to how God loves us. But he chose us to be holy and beloved. Right, this is a verse I often go to like when I'm down. I just feel like nothing's going right. I've I've messed up. Right? Or even just like just a bad day. Like man, just everything exploded in my face. Nothing can change my identity in Christ. So if we go up a couple verses in Colossians 3, verse 1. Something else about our identity, about who we are in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Right, if you're the type to circle and underline, right, circle and underline, hidden with Christ. You are in Christ. You're not the old you. The old you is gone. You are in Christ. You're a new creation. You are in Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Right? So just in these few short verses, we've seen sin, Savior, salvation, sanctification, submission, and splendor. It's all right here. We're being moved from sinners to we're being saved, we're sanctified. And one day, when Christ, is who is our life, appears, you will be with him in glory. So it's all packed in here in Colossians chapter 3. 
So in verse 5, Paul then right, addresses right, our identity, right, that part of us that's still in the flesh. Right? Because until we get to heaven, right, we still have to wrestle with our old nature and our new nature. So in verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists a bunch of things under the sun. It's not an exhaustive list of sins. He lists quite a bit. But that is our identity. We're chosen, holy, and beloved. While we're waiting for the splendor of God, right, we're seeking to put away what is sin and put on what is holiness. Paul described this, this turmoil, this inner tension in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Right, th this is Paul. Right? He has a pretty good resume. But he says, Nothing good dwells within me. That is, in my flesh. So he's talking about this old part of himself. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So there's this turmoil and tension. There's this old man hanging around, this old part of him. Still desires, still plans to do sin. It's at war with the new part of him, right, that desires and plans to do good. So we know that our identity is set, that we're chosen, holy, and beloved. But how do we walk? How do we walk away from the old self and walk into the new? Galatians 5, 16 through 24. I won't read the whole thing. Galatians 5, 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Right? So there's that inner turmoil, that inner tension. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And that gets back to the, the sanctification and the submission. So when it says walk, right, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the language there used, it's not just simply, okay, I walked one day, now I'm done. Check the box, I'm done. The idea is walk every day every hour, minute by minute. I need to be checking in. Okay, am I, am I walking in the spirit here? God, is there something you want me to do here? Right, is my, if I'm with my family, right, I'm asking God, help me to be a godly present dad, not just to be a warm body in this house. Right, Holy Spirit, help me do that. As I'm uh, at work or around people that don't know the Lord, I'm asking Lord, help me. Help, give me the words to say. Help me to talk to people. Help me not just be a warm body. Or help me not to fall back into my old ways, my old habits. The Holy Spirit is always there waiting to engage with us. We need to ask for help in those times of need. So we are a new creation. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. 
right? Satan does so much of his work trying to keep that old that passed away. He tries to keep it right in front of our face, right? Satan has like my greatest, my lowest hits of failure. It's like, hey, do you remember when? Remember when you did this? Remember when you said that? Remember when you just didn't do this? He tries to keep those things. Remember, we're justified. We're chosen. We're holy and beloved. Those sins are forgiven. I can't do anything about the old things, but God has done something about them. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm asking the Spirit for help to walk in that newness. So I praise God that I'm not the same person I was 10, 20 years ago. And by God's grace, I won't be the same person that I am today, 10, 20 years from now. So our our big idea, and and really we're just kind of going back to the basics. What is a biblical worldview? What does the Bible have to say? We're doing that so when we're presented with a difficult issue or a gray area or or hot-button issue, Instead of just kind of going off the cuff or, or saying whatever, right? Just go back to the fundamentals of the biblical worldview and ask, how does this issue fit within God's truth? We don't just try to like, well, okay, we'll just let this system set up here and then we'll just kind of sprinkle in Jesus at the end. No, we have to go back to the word. I want to, as we close tonight, uh, if you're still in Colossians, go ahead and flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. This is, this is Peter writing, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Does this sound familiar? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession. Right, so we've been set apart into the family of God. That, right? Again, if you underline or circle or highlight, underline that. Peter's about to say why. It's not just about you to make you feel good. But why? That you may proclaim the excellencies excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you have been saved so that you may go tell others. About what? Talk about their issues and all this. No, we've been saved to share the gospel. How he has brought us out of this our old life into our new life. We've been called to share the gospel. The excellencies of him. I thought that phrase was so interesting because in our day and age, right, people outside the church, kind of as they should, right, they're outside the church, they don't think excellence of God. They don't think good things about God. So someone needs to be there to be a voice for that God is indeed wonderful, beautiful, 
And who is that voice? It's you. It's me. If you are in Christ, it's you. He has chosen you to proclaim that goodness, the wonder, the wonders of God. So what are we to proclaim? Keep going in the verse. He has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So our old life, what we've been saved from, we're to share what we're now walking in and the goodness, right? the fruits of the spirit that God gives us, joy, peace. I want to leave you with the example of Jonah. Do any of the kids remember what did God ask Jonah to do? Anybody, anybody remember? God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. And he gave Jonah a very difficult message. Jonah was called to preach repentance. Repentance implying that, hey, Nineveh, you're in sin. You need to repent and turn away from that and turn toward God. What did Jonah do the first time? Right, Nineveh had a really bad reputation, right? If you if you fell under the condemnation in Nineveh, part of their justice system was they would string your body up on the wall outside so that people would know, hey, if you go against the law of Nineveh, this is what's going to happen to you. And God called Jonah to, to preach a message of repentance to Nineveh. So as my, my kid's story Bible, as it describes it, Jonah went to not Nineveh, right? But he, he really went to Tarshish. And in doing that, right, he was swallowed by the whale or the large fish. And then finally, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Jonah repents. And then he preaches repentance to Nineveh. And what happens in Nineveh? It says the king from the greatest to the least of these repented and turned back to the Lord. It wasn't because Jonah was a gifted orator. It wasn't because he had a good PowerPoint. It wasn't because of any of these things. Jonah had to walk in obedience and follow where the Spirit was leading. So that, until we are called up to the splendor of heaven, that is what we are to do, to share the gospel with those around us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your work in my life and in the lives of uh, my brothers and sisters here. 
God, I pray that you would uh, encourage us and strengthen us and root us in the gospel. Help us to never grow tired or weary of hearing about the gospel. Help us to look for opportunities to, to continue to share your word with others. Help us to, to share your truth and, and love with others. Help us to serve others around us, Lord. We can't do this apart from your spirit, Lord. We look to your help and to your leading. God, I pray for each one here as we, we go our separate ways, Lord, that you would keep us safe as we, as we go home. God, that you would uh, gather us again together next week. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so all, all, everything we talked about tonight is really just part one. It's really a, a precursor for as we uh, get into part two, right, where we really get to get into the kind of the meat and potatoes of uh, the LGBTQ movement and pride. But we wanted to set a framework for how we're going to talk about that. So we're going to come back to a lot of this. Now, I have to apologize to you. Originally on the calendar, this was going to be uh, one message. And as we begin writing and thinking, we didn't want to have a two-hour message. So we're going to split it up into two parts. And the way that the calendar uh, shook out, um, we're going to have part two in July. So I apologize for that, but uh, we didn't want to rush th through things. So just a little heads up. <laughs>